0: Fuel Stop Chats is recorded live over Zoom. Please check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Fuel Stop Chats. And also, if you're brave enough to want to watch us, check us out on our YouTube channel. Search Fuel Stop Chats for the show recordings and other additional videos. As always, like and subscribe. And if you have a show idea, feel free to reach out to us at FuelStopChats at gmail.com. Again, FuelStopChats at gmail.com. If you like our podcast, like, and subscribe, throw us a rating, tell your friends, and let's grow the community. Thanks for listening. Key the intro.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fuel Stop Chats. I'm Chris. Uh, James's audio is off. We'll work on that while he's puffing on his cigar. <laughs> With us tonight, we have uh, world-renowned <laughs> photographer and author Michael O'Neill. Michael, welcome to Fuel Stop Chats.
2: Oh, thank you, thank you, guys. Good to be here.
1: And uh, man, I got to tell you, I've been enjoying the book. I'm not a hundred percent done, but I'm getting there. And oh, I'll, uh,
2: I'll be able to figure out how much you've read. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> um, I was uh, I was really enjoying the website and the photos on the website. Uh, man, they're just beautiful. So um, oh, thank you. I, I could see where people would be. Uh, coming to you for advice on taking photos and um, look forward to seeing you at the national rally. I think next year at the national BMW rally. Uh, uh,
2: Yeah. I've been invited to, um, you know, you know, submit to be a speaker and uh, perhaps do a presentation to the national organization about better road trip photography, motorcycle road trip photography for anybody that's got, you know, $10,000 $10,000 worth of equipment or just a smartphone in their pocket.
1: For those that are listening, uh, we were talking about Michael's book, uh, road work. And um, I tell you that the, the, uh, the thi- there's some lines in here. I got to ask you about, is that okay? okay? Absolutely. All right. I know it's kind of tough because I'm going to reference like, you know, uh, I, I shared the Nietzsche quote about uh, those seen dancing or thought insane by those that couldn't hear the music yeah. uh, because I, I had forgotten about the quote Uh and, uh, when we were talking last night, you reminded me of it. And I said, as many times as people have asked me, you know, why do you ride? What's it like to ride? You know? And like you said, there's no virtual way to, to feel that you have to just do it. And, and, uh, for those people that are motorcycle haters that say, Oh, you're crazy. It's dangerous. It's Mm -hmm. all the negative stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. I just kept thinking about that quote last night. All night long, it kept sticking in my head. Yeah. I'm dancing. I'm dancing. I'm enjoying my music. And the people that are haters, are, they can't even hear the music. Yeah, it's, it's
2: a brilliant quote. And I talk about it a little bit. I think everybody's got their own idea of what crazy is. You know, I'm not going base jumping off Angel Falls in Venezuela, and, you know, I'm not going to trade cryptocurrency, but, uh, you know, put me on a motorcycle in 30-degree weather or torrential downpour. Yeah, I got no problem with that. Everybody's got their own idea of what crazy is.
1: Absolutely. There's a great line in here that I I have to ask you about. Um, It's, uh, I think it's on page, well, I'm looking at it, uh, so I don't know if the page numbers match correlated to the book itself, but... (laughs) In the front, of the, in the early part of the book, you say passion comes with time, experience, trials, errors, practice, faith, and ever-increasing levels of growth, performance, and enjoyment. It's not something that strikes you like a thunderbolt, but rather like the perfect storm that gains strength gradually due to the right combination of underlying fundamental elements. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm asking you that is that for me, um, I, I acquired a passion. And then through experience, hard knocks, dumb luck, I kind of pursued my passion. Okay. And so I'm curious how you, how did you come about writing? How do I
2: qualify that? Well, you know, I think I referenced in that same passage uh, a little bit about my career. I was a professional photographer for almost four decades. And, uh, you know, a lot of young people, new people would come into the industry And tell me that they're passionate about photography and they've been at it for two weeks, two months, whatever, (laughs) and they're passionate about it. And my my (laughs) argument is that you're not passionate about something when you just get started, you might be very attracted to it, even in your own case, it might be something you're really excited about, really enthusiastic about, but I think passion is something that really develops over time. Um, Passion is what uh drives you to get better and better at it you know when you first got into motorcycling you might say oh i was passionate about it but you weren't really very good at it until you got caught in your first thunderstorm or your first hurricane um you know you, you got your first challenge where you couldn't find lodging for a night or you had a mechanical breakdown or a flat tire all those little experiences add so much Um, to what makes up, you know, yourself as a motorcyclist. Right. I think the passion is what drives us to continue doing it, even in the face of adversity, you know, of, you know, facing these challenges, overcoming them, and moving on to greater adventures on the next trip. So, you know, are you really passionate about it when you first get the keys to that shiny motorcycle? I don't think so. I think you're enthusiastic about it, excited about it. But I think passion is something that comes with time. And uh, you know I tried to apply that to my own career as a photographer. and like everything else in the book, um, I use motorcycle travel as a metaphor you know for life itself. So the same way I grew in my passion as a photographer, I grew in my passion as, a motorcycle rider and a long distance traveler and stuff. Yeah. Was I excited about my first motorcycle? Yeah. I was excited when I went, you know, on a 50 mile day trip, you know, down to, down to the local beach and hung out and had a beer with a couple of guys. I thought it was a major accomplishment, (laughs) you know, but that, that doesn't give you the incentive to go out and do 5,000 miles, you know, in any kind of weather that, that kind of passion comes over time with experience.
1: That's fair. No, I I we we used to say with uh with the football players, we could tell whether they were passionate or not if they came back after two days. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's uh so when when did you start writing and when did you start photography? Where did the two kind of come together?
2: Well, you know, I, I rode when I was, I, I didn't, I'm not one of those people that started on dirt bikes when I was six years old or anything. I didn't really get on my first motorcycle till after I left my parents home they never would have had, let me have one. Um, my motorcycling and photography started roughly about the same time. Um, I, uh, Started in photography in 1978, um, that, was, you know, that was when I did my first professional assignment. I had been a hobbyist for a couple of years, um, and by nine, and I was doing it part-time then. In 1984, I left my full-time job in corporate America to start my own photography studio. So you know, then you know, mid to late eighties is when I really got serious. Started riding seriously. Uh, by mm-hmm. mid nineties is when I really started uh, touring. You know, doing a lot of long distance riding. Yeah. And when you get into the book, you'll you'll see some humorous pictures of my first touring machine, which was you know a Harley Davidson with twenty inch yep. ape hangers and the slam suspension, and you know that. was. That that's the bike that taught me I, I didn't need to be on that kind of bike anymore. I, you know, I was <laughs> yeah, no saw longer. That I was, yeah, I was, I was no longer a bike night kind of guy. You know, I was going to get serious about riding. I needed a serious machine to keep up with it.
1: Well, that brings up my next quote that's in your book, and it's later on in the book. It's uh, somewhere around I don't know page one eleven I think or mm-hmm. something. But you say there's no such thing. As the perfect motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And uh this is right after you uh you share the the uh the quote from uh Persig from Zen yeah. uh, and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Um, I think people drop off the last part and it's really important. The title of that book also includes an inquiry into, into values.
2: values. Yeah.
1: And you you know, he talks about the rational versus the emotional mm-hmm. uh, you know, person that you know that uh, chooses their bike. Yeah. One guy wants to know all the nuts and bolts and the mechanics of it. And the other guy wants to just get on it and go. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't care about the mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and you say there's no perfect motorcycle, period. Yeah. And I have said that. That's why I have more than one. Of course. Right? Because it depends on the mood, the day, the whatever. But absolutely, James has got several, right? Um, so when you were talking about this uh, no perfect motorcycle, period, Talk to me a little bit about your evolution. You said you had the bike with the ape hangers. You talk about it in the book Uh with the slammed suspension, which made it basically like a rigid from the 1950s. It was was a
2: hard to period, yeah.
1: (laughs) And then you graduated. You had another big, big touring bike with all the camping gear that weighed somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,200 pounds, you said. Probably, yeah. Right, (laughs) And then, uh, and what are you riding now? Uh, right now, I'm riding
2: a BMW. Uh, it's a sport touring bike. Uh, I, th- I like to say it's the last honest sport touring bike that ever came out of Berlin. Uh, the bike weighs about 475 pounds wet without luggage on it. So it's about 500 pounds with the saddlebags and top case. Um, the reason that bike came about i mean I, I basically always wanted a bmw i liked their automobiles and so forth but i, w- I was a harley guy you know through and through i rode harleys for 25 years uh unfortunately i have a degenerative condition in my lower right leg and i just can't push a 900 pound bike around a parking lot anymore um it's just it just got to be too much to handle and i say it in the book i said I had two choices it was either quit riding or ride something smaller and quitting riding was not an option yet so uh i got a smaller bike um is it ideal no perfect you know we talk about you know the, the question was the perfect bike um is it a perfect bike no but it's perfect for me right. um, yeah it, it's a legitimate sport touring bike out of the factory um You know, it came with a a little difficult ergonomics, a very low windshield. Um, I had to make some changes to it. I raised the handlebars, pulled the handlebars back, uh, added the luggage to it, uh, put a taller windshield on it, but it's really become quite a capable touring machine. I've got probably 30,000 miles on it now, and uh, it eats up the miles as readily as I do. Uh, Do I miss the comfort of an electric glide on the highway? Sure, sure. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. Um, But when you get that bike off the interstate and throw it into some twisty roads, it's a joy to ride. It's so much more of an aggressive machine than any Harley Davidson I've owned, and I owned seven or eight of them.
1: Yeah, so that goes back to the passion, right? I mean, there's there's the perfect definition of uh, do I quit riding or do I just choose a different bike that's perfect for me at this yeah. point in my life? Yeah, And uh, I think that's great. So we we I said camping gear, 1,200 pounds. This is the last quote from the book that I, I'm going to ask about. Uh-huh. All my camping gear came courtesy of Philip Morris International, <laughs> part of their Marlboro Miles loyalty program, rewarding me for my addiction to their cigarette product.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I think that was probably, uh, that was like mid-90s when I had that bike that's in the picture, you know, loaded up with all the camping gear. And back then they were doing uh, a promotion. Yeah. Everybody had marble stuff. You you cut cut little coupons off the side of the back and they had great stuff. I got a tent out of them, a sleeping bag and an air mattress and lanterns. And, you know, they were trying to tell us what great outdoorsmen we were when we were really just, you know, nicotine addicts. But uh, I got some great equipment out of them and it's all, you'll see the picture in the book it's all piled up on the back of the electric ride, and uh, I, I'd like to think it's a pretty humorous story about my first motor camping adventure which Coincidentally became my last motor camping. That's the adventure. caption under the yeah. picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Motor yeah. <laughs> <The first and laughs> camping for the yeah. first
1: and last time.
2: And you know, I I I love I love the concept of it. I see pictures in like the BMW owners' news of these guys that ride twelve miles out on gravel and dirt roads out to the north rim <laughs> of the Grand Canyon and camp for the night. And I think it's a wonderful concept, but it's it's not this guy. I, I'm not doing that anymore. When I was a kid, I was very involved with Boy Scouts. I did some incredible camping trips uh, in Northeaster storms on the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, we did one in a blizzard once where we had to get uh, the entire Boy Scout troop had to be rescued by four-wheel drive vehicles out of the campsite. So I did my share of camping when I was young. Now, nowadays, at the end of the day, I want a nice hot shower and a hotel room to stay in.
0: Yeah, see, Chris and I will do some camping, but uh, we're—I would consider it almost glamping uh, with what we do. Yeah, uh, uh, I was doing a lot of the two-man tent, sleeping on a real thin air mattress. Yeah, and then Chris showed up one day with his uh, um, Redverse uh, tent. It's got mm-hmm. a garage that you can park yeah, your motorcycle I've in. Seen
2: them, yeah, and the biggest
0: thing though is. Chris had said to me, "I want to be able to stand up and put my clothes on."
2: Of course, yeah.
0: And it hit me that, yeah, I can't do that in a two-man tent. So mm-hmm. I came home, and I remember I had this older. Well, I, I it was brand new, still in the box. I had gotten it from something for work for winning a raffle or something. Uh, actually, I think it was ten years uh, with where we worked at. I could pick something out of the catalog, and I've just got a tent. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I think, a five-man Coleman tent, okay. but it's five foot. 11 in the center. Okay. So I have a double high single air mattress. So it's 12 inches off the ground. I can sit on that thing with my mm-hmm. knees bent to the ground. It's like getting up off of a regular bed, but I can stand fully up, fully yeah. erect, pull my clothes on, put my boots on, and actually get up and stretch. It's a huge difference for me in that type of camping. In comparison to all i'm gonna right. just put my my you know my hammock up between these two trees and a, yeah. a poncho over the top and a mosquito net and call it a night mm-hmm. <laughs> i just that was That's great when nice. i was in the army when i was 20 years old i right. could do that all day long
1: yeah nowadays <clears throat> yeah <clears throat> and you gotta, like I said, you gotta uh, and you michael county... you you haven't met james live but you know uh-huh. he said it's the tent's five foot eleven in the middle, so he's got clearly a foot. Oh, I've got, I've got plenty of room. Plenty of, yeah. I can play basketball in there. Uh, you
2: know, even if I could stand up in the tent, I don't want to do it when it's pouring rain outside the front of the tent or it's 32 degrees outside the front of the tent. You know, like oh. I said, at, at the end of a hard day's riding, you know, I really want to get a nice hot shower and, and sleep in a real bed. You know? I've
0: got nothing against that. We do a lot of hotel rides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. i like where you you know it talked about you know some of the hotels that you had stayed at where you know motorcycle friendly where you can park your bike under the portico right out in the front oh sure uh sure. That, that a lot of the hotels that we stay at we you know we sort of demand it yeah um when we go in there that no we're going to park our bikes here yeah,
2: well if i think of it tomorrow when i send you over the graphics i'll send you a picture of uh a trip two of my buddies did uh they did the round 66 from chicago all the way out to the west coast and when they were going through, I forget, Oklahoma or something, there were tornado warnings. And the owner of the motel invited them to put these two big gold wings right in the lobby of the hotel. Good. And got the pictures to prove it of these two.
0: Yeah, oh, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, a 1,000-pound gold wings sitting right in the lobby. And uh, I remember posting it on a Facebook page one day, somebody asking about, what do you do with your motorcycle? You know when you when you're at a hotel so i put it up as a joke and i said put them in the lobby and you know i actually had some troll on that post saying (laughs) Well, I don't know about that because some family is going to come through and think, think it's a, a an amusement park and they're going to sit on my motorcycle without my permission. And I just I said to the guy, really, if you're that worried about it, don't leave home. I mean, the, you know, how much media. how much can you get? How much better can you get than having a hotel tell you to put your motorcycles in the lobby?
1: Well, and, yeah. and the thing that, you know, we were out at the in, uh, at the Grand Canyon. And there was a family that came over, and the only person that could speak English was the little girl that was about six, seven years old. And uh, there was about a dozen of us lined up on the on the uh, you know back as far back in the parking lot as you could, because we got this really cool shot of you know the Grand Canyon right behind the the row of bikes. And uh, we we were like, do you, you know, do you want to sit on the bike? She's like, yeah, but I I don't know if they'll let me. And I said, "Oh no, no, we'll let you." And she goes, "No, I meant them." And she pointed to her parents. Her parents, yeah. And yeah. I said, "I said, well, you'll have to take care of asking because I don't know how to speak Korean. I don't, you know." <laughs> and she turned around and she talked a little bit with mom and dad. They kind of looked at us and we were like, "Yeah." Yeah. So uh, it made her day. I mean, oh,
2: look, I've, done, I've it, done that a number of times.
1: Oh yeah, and if your bike is so precious to you, you're worried about some kid sitting on it in the lobby. Like yeah. you said, just leave it in the garage. Um, we uh, we will transition a little bit, but I do want to put one more plug in for uh, for your book, Roadwork, Images and Insights of a Modern Day Explorer, Michael O'Neill. So make sure you guys are listening. Get out and check that book out. Um, you'll really enjoy it. I've really enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed the pictures that are along yeah. uh, in throughout the book, too. So uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's
2: getting some good reviews. Uh, it was the number one Amazon bestseller in the road travel category for about 10 days after its release. And uh the reviews that are coming in, people are getting it. Uh, I'd like to read one to you today. It's very quick. Uh, The first review on the book said this is not just a book about motorcycles, but about life itself. Excellent photography and enjoyable to read inspires you to get outside and live a more full life. So um I kind of I really like that review because the guy nailed it. That's what I was attempting to do when I wrote this book. And uh, it's nice to know that it's uh, the message is getting through to the people that are reading it.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I downloaded it today uh, and ran through it. it. I mean, Amazon, I think it was nine dollars and maybe let's call it ten, 10 bucks. ten bucks. Download it, put it on your Kindle. Uh, going through there, the, some of the pictures are just Incredible. I love the That's, blue ridge picture you. with all the different variants of blue. You have like, I don't know, probably eight classes yeah. of mountains that you're yeah. going through. Uh the biggest thing for me, and this the question that I have for you mm-hmm. is it's no secret that Chris and I are true fans of barbecue. Okay. And on page 40, you talk about Delauders.
2: oh, oh world class. <laughs> world class.
0: I haven't eaten there yet. Uh, I didn't will. even know this existed. Uh-huh. However, I'm going up there, and probably three or four weeks uh, okay. to do some riding and do some work on uh, the house that we're getting built up there. Okay, I am going, do just it. because You're of welcome. what you talked about. You know, with getting this from your buddy and you know, world class. Oh, and how it's, it, it, it's when you sold me when you chart. said you couldn't find it.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's, it's you You won't find it. Even when your GPS tells you you're there. It is tucked into a commercial building with an auto electrical rebuilding facility, a place that rebuilds alternators and starters and stuff like that. Um, there's a, a 30, 40-year-old pickup truck that's on blocks parked in front of the front door with grass growing out from underneath it. You wouldn't know it's there. The place hasn't had a facelift in 50 years. The food is to die for. And I'm not a big barbecue fan, but this food is special.
0: Well, I looked them up on Google, and what sold me was they don't have a website. Uh huh. So, barbecue joint that, that isn't advertising on the web, Yeah, and it's been around for a while? It's been around forever. Be
2: and according to my buddy Dave, the guy I refer to as the Smokemeister, um, he says it's one of the best places in the country, and he's been all over them. In fact, just last week, he was down in Alabama some someplace that he goes to. You know, these are award-winning places. Uh, note, just a note of caution. They are closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. Noted. But that is the day that they do the days they do all the smoking for the rest of the week. Nice. And uh, when you go in, ask for Denny. Telling the guy from New York uh, that saw him a couple of months ago, sent you there with the friend back in New York, and he will probably know who I am. I will. What a a gentleman. I mean, the owner came out and sat and talked with me for 10 or 15 minutes. couldn't Couldn't have been more thrilled that I went 100 miles out of my way to get to this place. And they gave me enough food for four people they actually wrapped it all up in separate containers and sealed it in, in in commercial grade plastic and everything so i can put it in the panniers on the bike and ride it 50 miles back to my hotel room
0: we're, were- going to have to we'll try it out don't worry yeah, i, I got to get it
2: added to the list i started yeah, the list oh, yeah, you, you're welcome you won't you won't regret it so the so, the
0: question i have really on the book is you know i'm going through the book it looks like pretty much everything is East Coast. I mean, you're going from Canada yes, all the way down. Mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of West Coast writing. Is there a second book in the making?
2: Yeah, I hope so. I kind of the the, the last chapter of the book, where, which is entitled "The Road Ahead," I actually hint at that that uh, I hope next year I can do a, a true transcontinental run for the U.S. and Canada. I mean, I'd like to go to the West Coast and come completely back. I want to go into British Columbia. You know, up in uh, you know, Lake Louise area and around Banff and the Canadian Rockies. Um, I have some people, other friends in Canada that I need to see that I haven't seen before the pandemic started. Um, and lots of places out west. Uh, we talked briefly yesterday, and uh, I mentioned I've done some fly-and-ride trips out west, sure. uh, renting a bike out of uh, Las Vegas and going to Zion National Park and... You know the Slot Canyons, uh, Death Valley, a few of those locations, but they weren't road trips out of New York to get there. They were flying road trips. So yeah, and, most, most of my road riding's been confined to the East Coast lately. Yeah.
0: So you you have a website uh, with a lot of really good photos on there, okay. not only of nature, but I, I even looked at some of the wedding pictures. Those were phenomenal. <laughs> they, oh, thank you. They were, yeah. I mean, literally phenomenal. Uh, some you. of the best wedding photographs. I think i've ever seen
2: well that's that's what paid the bills for 40 years uh i was predominantly a wedding and portrait photographer um that's become a younger man's game now too nobody wants a 65 65 year old wedding photographer so um i spent a few years near the end of my career doing a lot of motorsports photography uh the favorite part of that would be uh you know MotoGP, moto gp sure. motor america motor america racing because i just love motorcycles and uh now it's really just the uh the traveling, you know, travel photographs and uh you know, writing. That's what I'm doing now.
1: But get thank you, hooked but up thank with you for Florian. the compliment. What's that? Gotta get you hooked up with Florian, the editor in chief of Roadrunner.
2: Okay. That sounds like a plan. I saw the, I saw on your site that uh you did an interview with him. I, I just saw that a few minutes ago. So yeah, he's been it, on a couple didn't times. Get, didn't yeah. get to listen to it. Yeah, that would that would be greatly appreciated. Yep. and he yeah, loves, we got him
1: on in two weeks. He loves our... good writing, but he loves great pictures even yes. more.
2: All right. Well, now I know he's got a contributor that can do both.
1: That's right.
2: That's like so, the, That's the perfect storm for an editor.
1: Speaking of photographs, you mentioned something about 1974 earlier in conversation. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're talking film. Cameras, Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just like your bikes have evolved and yeah. there was no perfect bike, is there a perfect camera?
2: No, and, the, and there never will be. And there'll never be a perfect motorcycle. I mean, my, my BMW is a 2016, and it's got all the bells and whistles. You know, I have push-button, electronic suspension adjustment. I've got ABS. Uh, you know, it, it's it's got all the goodies in it, automatic stability control. And, you know, that's a godsend. Uh, you guys ride BMWs. You know what it's like. Oh, yeah. You go into a downhill left hander too hard, and that back wheel starts slowing down by itself because it knows you're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, this, this is a long way from the motorcycles of the 1970s. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking to upgrade it now with a 2022 model, and, you know. They have ABS Pro now. The ABS, you know, computes the angle that you have, you're leaning in the turn, and what your contact patch is on the tire, and um, the headlamps turn when you're going around a corner to continue to light up the road. I mean, they keep getting better, and the same things with, you know, cameras. There's, you know, and I talk about it a little in the book that so many people are so, uh, you know, they're so attracted to the tech and and not the art and it doesn't matter what camera you buy nowadays it's going to be obsolete in a year or two anyway for sure they keep getting bigger better faster cheaper um and there, you know when i use film cameras i basically use the same cameras for 20 years the same model camera yeah we'd wear them out every couple of years and have to buy new ones but um, we basically use the same technology for 20 years um, since digital, it's just a constant uphill battle to try to keep up with the technology. It just
0: hey, hey Michael, can yes. you pull the mic off? Of-
2: yeah, there yeah. you go. I'm sorry. How oh, that, you're good. Is that better? The yeah. whiskers kept
1: scratching.
0: Yeah. All. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> good.
2: You could, you can tell I'm new with this.
0: No, no, it's fine. So are we. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, as you can tell from the beginning when I couldn't even get mine to work. <laughs>
2: Yeah, again, all that tech in front of you, and it didn't come to sound good.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so I do have a, a couple quick questions. On, sure. I mean, you've authored a book. Obviously, you've read some books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the, the books that I enjoy, uh, you know, from a technical aspect has been, um, you know, like Total Control from Lee Parks has really okay. helped with my writing. Writing uh, uh, the Edge was something was truly inspirational by a guy by the name of Dave Barr, who's he, he's a double amputee. And he took a, like a 1976 shovel head around okay. the world through Africa and everything else. Wow. He's yeah. actually in the AMA Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading right now uh, into Africa with uh, from Sam uh, Manicom okay. and, and his follies, if you will, down in Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the books that have inspired you?
2: Well, boy, a lot of them lately. Um you know, I mentioned Neil Peart in my book on a sure. number of occasions and I quote him and, uh, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a Neil, Neil Peart groupie, um, I don't enjoy the music of Rush. I really don't. I hate to say that. Yeah, I know. Well, I shouldn't say I don't enjoy it. And I, the call in. It out, of time. I, you know, out of time. Thanks,
1: Michael. Well, <laughs> Bye, everybody. Uh, maybe I should qualify that. Okay, <laughs> the,
2: the fact that he was the drummer for probably one of the most popular Canadian rock bands of all time is not what attracted to me to him. Um, it was his books, and it, yeah. particularly his books about motorcycling. Um, I read Ghost Rider uh, first, and you know, that's a difficult read. You know, Ghost yeah. Rider was a very dark period in Neil Peart's life. Uh, for anybody that's listening that's not familiar with Neil Peart, um, you know he was the drummer for the Canadian rock group Rush. Uh, he lost his daughter to a single car automobile accident. Nine months later, he lost his wife to cancer. So it was a a brutal, brutal time in his life. And the healing road that he went on on Ghost Rider was uh, what I forget, some 50 or 60,000 miles leaving his home in Quebec province in Canada and going all the way up to Alaska and up in the, you know, Northwest Territories and then heading south, going all the way down through the United States into uh, Mexico and then ultimately down into South America. Um, So it was quite a trip and he did it all alone. And I mean, just just an amazing adventure, uh, regardless of the negative aspects of his motivation for doing it i think
0: Um, the part of the book that cracks me up is reading it now and it's like i had to send a fax to this yeah yeah yeah. i had to send a fax to this person (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah so
2: yeah um you know his more recent books um the what i call the far series far and away far and wide far and near um they're much more they're very similar to what I have written. Um, they're more of a travelogue where it's not one long, continuous story. Each chapter is a different story with a different theme, um, You know, some different conclusions at the end of every chapter. And I'd be lying if I said his books didn't have an influence on how I ride nowadays, because they truly do. Um, I, I am not an interstate rider anymore. I've done a quarter of a million miles in my lifetime. And I spent entirely too much time on the slab at 90 miles an hour. And even in my book, I say it, you can, between having to watch the cars in front of you and the cars behind you and the tractor trailers next to you and the billboards and the overhead signs, you could ride from New York to California and not see a damn thing. Yep. And, uh, I don't want to do that anymore. So, uh, you know, I'm following, Neil Peart's advice, which is basically ride the roads that people don't ride unless they live on them. And, uh, I'm riding a lot of small roads these days and it's, it's just been a wonderful experience. I outlined a bunch of it in the book. Uh, I hope more people do that because it's just, it's such an incredible way to see this country and get to meet people and stuff. So yeah, Neil Peart's had a, a big influence on that. Um, Probably one of my favorite travelogues of all time is the book uh, called uh, Travels with Charlie in Search of America, which was written by uh, John Steinbeck, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist. And it happens to be, I think, one, if not the only, one of the few pieces of nonfiction he's ever written. And it's a story about how he left his home in Long Island with a camper on the back of his pickup truck and to go out and find out about the country that he'd been writing about in novels. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful travelogue. Funny, uh, travels with Charlie. Charlie is his full-size French poodle dog. And it's just, it's one of the most humorous. Yet one of the most insightful books I've ever read about, you know, just about human nature and the people he meets along the way, and it, it's just a terrific book. I highly recommend it. It's not a motorcycle book, like I said, he's traveling around in a camper, but uh, it's a great read. And well, you know, nobody could talk about motorcycles without talking about Zen. You know, yeah. Zen and Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. I'm reading it again now, right now as we speak, and. Uh, it's a difficult read. No doubt about it. It's a philosophy book. It's not a motorcycle book. Um, it's got some great motorcycle references in it, especially early in the book, but it uh, it can get tedious.
0: And we'll be right back with more from Michael O'Neill and Roadwork, Images and Insights of a Modern Day Explorer. learning history is something taught in school experiencing history is a right seldom exercised either experiencing the american civil war by walking its battlefields and touching the soil where blood was shed or experiencing musical history from the studios where the lyrical touchstone was created and recorded the textile of history should be experienced firsthand Participants in this journey should be riding a motorcycle from historical location to historical location so that the environment can wash through them in the open air. Ride History provides an intimate, educated, and personal experience guiding its riders through history on the freedom of two wheels. Check out www.ridehistory.com for available tours of the Gettysburg Battlefield or ride through America's entry into the Industrial Revolution on the oil field tour, the Knox tour from Fort Ticonderoga to Boston, or the eight day rhythm tour starting in Atlanta and hitting Nashville, Memphis, Muscle Shoals, Jackson, and New Orleans. Ride through American history at ridehistory.com. You were saying about uh, Zen.
1: You're reading it now.
2: I'm reading it now, and and like I said, you know, to the motorcyclists that are listening, which are probably everybody that's listening here, um, it's it's not a motorcycle book. It's a it's a book on philosophy. Um, it's you know probably the most successful philosophy book of all time. It sold over 5 million copies. It was published in 23 different languages. It was on the bestseller list for more than two decades. Um, it's it's the gold standard in books about philosophy. But because of that, probably 80% of the book is about philosophical matters, not about motorcycles. So it can be a tough read for a lot of people. Just, you know, you're being warned The title, uh, he does great references uh, between, you know, technology and, you know, it's basically a study of the difference between people who look at things rationally and people who look at things romantically. And he talks about his, uh, fr- his friendship, uh, his friend has a romantic outlook on motorcycles. He just, uh, wants to ride. And if anything goes wrong with it, even if it runs out of gas, he calls the BMW dealer to come get him. <laughs> and where Persig, you know, the author, It takes the rational approach. He learns everything there is to learn about his bike right down to, you know, the the metallurgical things, uh, you know, welding and, uh, you know, incredible amounts of things. I did a little research on it, you know, because nowhere in that book is it mentioned what he rides and this is a guy that goes off on a 17-day road trip with his son on riding pillion on the back of the bike. Um, and if you guys have, I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's never mentioned in the book what he rides. He talks about his friend's BMW, but I did a little research on it. Um, the book that he did this epic trip on, the bike that he did this epic trip on, trip about, trip on is a 1966 Honda Superhawk. A, 300, wow. a 350cc motorcycle that weighs 300 wow. pounds. Yeah. And that, that bike, incidentally, is currently his bike. The bike that's in the book is in the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. right now.
0: I didn't know that. No, I, I, didn't,
2: a, I didn't know that either.
0: I, I have to say I'm guilty. I have not read Zen. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, to my defense, I mean... I read at probably a second or third grade level. That's why okay. I. Th- that's why I enjoyed uh, the Jack Reepy movie or uh, book. <laughs>
2: Zing! I love Reepy. Reapy's one of my man. He is one oh, of the funniest men. Jack He's the best. I, I get I get up in the morning sometimes, and before I've even had my first sip of coffee, I read one of his posts, and I'm in tears. The man is. He's one of the funniest men I've ever read. You know all his books every. Feature he runs in the, in the On magazine, his post online. He's brilliant. He is truly brilliant. Really it was actually is. kind of intimidating for me because he made a point of telling me that he ordered my book and uh, I told him to be kind when he did his <laughs> review of it.
1: Well, the good news is for Jack is that your book has lots of pictures for him.
0: Exactly. Uh-huh.
1: So, Jack, if you're listening, get the Negroni, get the cigar. And and it's got lots of pictures. You don't have to read or work hard.
2: <laughs> and it's definitely not as funny as one of his reads. Uh, you know, uh, I have a couple of lines in the book that I thought were cute, but believe me, I'm no humorist. Uh, Reepy <laughs> is, is brilliant. He's brilliant.
1: He is hilarious. Yes. What about you,
0: Chris? I mean, what what have you been reading for motorcycling? I know that you're constantly reading something, but have you read anything motorcycle related? motorcycle related? we'll make this the uh fuel stop chats book club portion
2: <laughs> <laughs> or what neil peart used to call bubba's book, club, when bubba's they book, book club. club yep
1: yeah that's where the dork and the and the dweeb and the
2: <laughs> oh yeah doofus dingus and i call mine dumbo <laughs> yeah.
1: The uh, I right now I'm reading this really killer book. It's called Roadwork: Images and Insights of a Modern <laughs> Day Explorer. Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I really am. And you know, I, I guess for me, uh, going back to the whole passion comment, you know, uh, the uh, the blend of the philosophy and trying to describe why and 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 what motivates me to ride, um, you know that that's always interesting. Um, music is a huge thing for me. So I love to, uh, to love to, you know, read about music, study music, learn, you know, um, I'm always looking for new music, like what's the new bands out there. So I read a lot of stuff on that. Um, and the travel log stuff, I, you know, I was joking, but, uh, I'll tell you this quick story years ago. And I'd say four or five years ago, there was an article that came out in GQ magazine, and it was the 10 best barbecue places in America.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I immediately coming from Missouri, I'm, I'm looking at this magazine going, oh, this ought to be good. <laughs> so I opened it up. And uh, as a lark, I took a copy of that, typed it out, put it on Facebook, on the motorcycle forum. And I said, hey, guys, look what I found. And it blew up. I mean, it <laughs> was like, oh, that's BS. You got to go to this place or that yeah, place. Yeah. So I took all these posts. I researched every one of these places. If they had a website, I put the website, I put the street address, I put their phone number in there, and I created this monster list of, uh, of rider-recommended barbecue joints. Mm-hmm. And so every once in a while, I would get a post and it'll say, "Hey, does anybody remember that barbecue guy that had that list?" <laughs> because you can ask James. I carry this thing on my phone everywhere I go, really. And I don't care where we are. Yeah, I somebody will say, "Where's the barbecue joint?" And it's like, "I got, I got a place." Yep. And uh, the place you talked about, I'm gonna go check it out. Make sure I oh, get it added to the. It, so the travel special. stuff, you know, is a lot of fun for me because the me the the medium or the mode. How I got there, it's important for me because it's got to be on a bike, right? But there's occasions where my wife, who doesn't care to ride very far, mm-hmm. uh, she wants to take a road trip in the car. Mm-hmm. But the travel log stuff is still valuable. The history location. Sure, sure. spent an entire day at the Corning Museum of Glass. I had a blast up there. We made some mm-hmm. glass. We you know, just had a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's the travel log stuff that really finds those places for me. So, yeah. Uh, those those are the combination. That's the things I'm reading a lot about.
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, some of the- that's fun. You know,
0: I was going to say some of the books that uh, some of our listeners and uh, some supporters have put to us as uh, so. Shane McGuire had said, "The Longest Ride" by Emilio uh, mm-hmm. Scoto.
2: Okay, I'm not um, familiar with that Not
0: familiar with that one. Uh, of course, Ghost Rider, uh, Dreaming of Jupiter, from Ted Simon. There's a, a whole Jupiter series. Uh, Bill Turner talks about Jupiter's travels. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be pretty good. And I've seen the Jupiter book come up or one of the variations of the Jupiter book come up uh, a few different times. Um, There's another one from Shane. uh, What is the name of it? Uh, Around the world in 1968 on a motorcycle by Mm -hmm. Zoltan uh, Sulpisky. Zoltan. Mm. Uh, um, Oh, wow. uh, Yeah. Uh, There's a, a Larry Stone Street had said the blue highways by well, highways William, is
2: great, yeah, that's by, a great yeah.
0: William book. Lest Heat Moon, yeah. Exactly. Uh,
2: let's
0: see, here. Tino Niglish said the upper hall of the motorcycle.
2: Yeah, well, or, highways sorry, is the, a mo- the upper book. half
0: of the motorcycle. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, the unity of the rider and machine by uh burnt uh Spiegel. Mm-hmm. There was another one. Uh, the complete motorcycle nomad which there's a lot of people that uh, talk about that. It's an older book by Roger Levin. Uh, yeah. I Jimmy, Jimmy Miggs had talked about that and, uh, and then yeah, far and away or far away. Again, a part of the series, mm-hmm. there's an author that somebody was talking about, uh, Dan Hucklebridge was talking about Melissa Holbrook Pearson. I haven't read any of her stuff. I,
2: I if- started reading one of her books. Yeah. I didn't stay with it. Um, but blue, uh, you mentioned blue highways before. I forgot to mention that one earlier. That's a brilliant book. Okay, uh, Neil. You know, the references, you know, the blue highways are the little roads. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when you open up a map,
1: oh, know, yeah. those,
2: those are those are the back roads, the secondary roads, and it's very, um, it's similar to Steinbeck's book where he goes around the country and you know meets people and. Um, really interacts with people in these small, small, tiny little towns. When I read Blue Highways, I was actually reading it um, on you know my on my laptop computer, and I had a second window open with Google Maps just so I could follow along. You know the route he was taking in the book uh, it was really interesting. That's and that, pretty cool. That, that's another legendary book. I mean, that was that was a New York Times bestseller and stuff. It was. It's really a very very good book again not a motorcycle book he was traveling in a beat-up chevy van or something
0: no travel is travel I, mm. I mean yeah there's the aspect of the of a, of a motorcycle book where you can feel that influence in the writing if the writer or the author is good enough yeah but at the end of the day you're looking at the travel log side of it where are they going what are the sites mm. are they seeing Yep. I, I have no problem reading a book or watching, you know, a documentary on a location, and mm-hmm. I think to myself, those are the roads I want to ride. Yeah, that's a place that I want to see on a motorcycle.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I Googled- was sitting,
2: you know ninety riding right, right ninety five out of New York. Once you once you get south of Maryland, you don't know what state you're in until you get to Florida. You yeah. could be in Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. It all looks the same you know the, the interstates suck You know, <laughs> i i want to be on back roads
1: yeah it's a it's a necessary evil for you know i mean if you got a couple of weeks vacation mm-hmm. you, you know i usually will slab it till i get on the other yeah. side of Kansas yeah yeah and then i get out there and enjoy well, my routes and stuff that's like exactly
2: that. how my book starts you, you, yeah. you know chapter 1 it says you know i slab it for 500 miles but the trip starts tomorrow
1: yeah my yeah. cousin was just recently talking to me about uh you know, the, the tours that we do, uh, would you do this for somebody in a car? And I said, I mean, if it was you and Rick, I guess I'd give you guys a guided tour. <laughs> if <laughs> you're, I said, you just can't put the top up.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if you're going to get the full experience, you know, and, and have something that's even close to being comparable, then take your, bring your convertible out here, but you can never put the top up. Yeah. So if it rains, it rains. If it's cold, it's cold. If it's hot, yeah. I said, then we'll be able to be a little bit more relatable.
2: Sure, sure.
1: But uh, those roads, I, you know, I long for the day when uh, I can absolutely tell the Google or Garmin, you know, avoid highway, avoid toll. Yeah. And uh, because, you know, we just had this conversation last weekend about the roads around your house. Mm-hmm. And people were talking about, Uh, these great rides that are within you know 30 minutes of their house and and they didn't uh really get to explore that until covid kind of shut down the the long distance traveling and they were forced Mm -hmm. to go and it's like it's the the amazing local roads that you can find where you live you know and the mom and pop diners and the little ice cream shops and you know, I, I
2: I talk a little bit in my book about uh, an online resource. I don't know how much I can mention on your your podcast, but, uh, have whatever you like. Yeah, there's a website called Kerviger, and it's spelled with a K K U R V I G E R, and it's Kerviger.de. It's out of Germany, and it's a motorcyclist site by motorcyclist for motorcyclist. Period. Um, And you go in and you basically pick a start point and end point for any road trip and tell it what you want to ride on. Do you want to ride on curvy roads, twisty roads, extra curvy roads, unpaved roads? and it'll generate a route for you in seconds uh, based on what your preferences are. Um, and then you can modify the route to include, you know, let's say mechanical services along the way, scenic overlooks, restaurants, biker friendly establishments. Um, and unlike Google or Waze, they're not trying to get you from point A to point B as quickly as possible, where you're going to pass as many of their paid advertisers as possible Mm -hmm. it's just about the motorcycling experience and the reason i i bring it up is because uh, you know like what just said about the roads close to home i've lived on long island for 65 years and (laughs) Kerberger has shown me roads in my backyard that i didn't even know existed uh a month or so ago, I took a ride up to the Adirondacks Mountains, about 350 mile run from my house. Um, and I've been in New York State for 60 years. And it took me on roads up past places I never knew existed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and at, at one point, I went probably a 200 mile stretch where the roads didn't even have, you know, fog lines painted on the side or any center markings at all. Uh, maybe once every 15 minutes you'd pass another car on the road. I mean, just incredible, uh, incredible resource. If you like doing that kind of riding.
1: Yeah. And Curviger actually has an app you can download from the play store and have it on your phone. Yep. And, uh, if you pay for the subscription, you can get Curviger pro, which mm-hmm. gives you a little bit of, uh, additional features, but, uh, yeah, you know, fantastic app. No doubt.
2: Yeah. Disclaimer there. It's only for Android phones. It's not for I- iPhones.
1: Do people with iPhones ride motorcycles?
2: <laughs> I I do. <laughs> um, I don't ride with my phone on the handlebars. I'll talk, I talk about that a lot. It's in, in chapter the book one. Yeah, it's yes, in it the book. If you yeah, I don't want to start anything here, but yes. Um, but anyway, the Curviger app. You can you use the desktop resource, output it as a GPX file. You can import it into the Scenic app and use that on your iPhone. But yes, the Curva app is uh, for a phone is only available on the Android platform.
1: And we'll yeah. put that up. now the, the, the article, the, the, the piece in the book uh, that you talk about the phone on the handlebar. Which yeah. you um, said we were talking about this on one of the Facebook forums about. Uh, well, QuadLock makes a product that has a shock vibe isolator for your phone. Yeah, uh, for your phone mount for people that have you know Apple that. They shake and the screen goes yeah. blank. Um, but you're, you're right up in the book that says, I keep my phone in my pocket. That way, if I'm separated from my bike, I at least have my phone with me.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, I don't wish that on anybody, but it can happen. We got to keep that in the back of our mind.
1: It's a possibility. Um, you know, yeah. You- you. Now, did you learn that from experience, Michael? Was no. there a time when you, 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 you thought, you know what, that's a, that's a pro tip. I'm going to remember to keep that in my pocket.
2: No, it's just, it's really, it's more of a philosophical thing, wouldn't um, I get on my motorcycle to escape. And the last thing I want to be when I'm on my bike is connected. Yeah. I don't want I don't want to receive any phone calls here about my extended car warranty. I don't want any, you know, Instagram alerts letting me know that, you know, what you know Kim Kardashian is doing. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's it's, uh, it's not what I do. I get on yeah. the road to get away from it. And I can't <laughs> believe how many people are so connected to their their phones, they can't live without it. I see guys pull into, you know, parking areas, you know, rest areas on the interstate. And before they even take their helmet off, they're on their phone looking to see what text messages came through. And I, I mean, I, I don't think anybody should be that busy or that that connected. When you get on your bike, let it go. Leave leave that baggage behind.
1: Well, I'll hey, tell man. you what, what switched me from leaving my phone in the top case or in my pocket to putting it on the handlebar was the caller ID. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I would I if if it's not my wife, I don't have mm-hmm. to answer it. But I didn't know that with my sena headset. It mm-hmm. just phone rang, hello, and uh, it would be whomever. And yeah. so now I have it on my, I can just quickly look over and go, yeah, no, I'm not talking to that guy. Yeah. Or n- not that I would endorse this, but if you if you could get away with it and you can go to work and and take all your phone calls while you're out on a motorcycle. <laughs> It's very advantageous. Yeah, um, guy
2: my guy in my club does it. Uh, we I, a, I, I we,
1: do it all the time. I, we I'm did not it, yeah, saying we that I've it. done it
0: before, but.
2: We, we, did a day ride, we did a day ride the other day. We went up, uh, up into the Hudson Valley in New York and went to the Motorcyclopedia Museum and then had a, a barbecue lunch on the Hudson River. And uh, we're all connected <laughs> with the Cardo headsets and our helmets and whatnot. And. All of a sudden, the way, the guy that's leading the ride is cursing, and you know, they're like, well, "You know, what are you cursing about?" I mean, oh, I just got a bad phone call, you know. It's like, you know, let it go, man. You know, let the phone ring. Let it go to voicemail. You're out riding, you know, with your buddies. Yeah. I, I don't. I, sometimes I just don't get it. But uh, now
1: you have to put days aside. The way I <laughs> I I just put days aside, mm-hmm. and and it's it's uh, absolutely no phone, no work, no, you know. Yeah. i'm gonna I'm gonna be on the bike today. but yeah. Uh, yeah, I
0: think it's something that you told me Chris was you can't you know, there's no such thing as working more than a hundred percent. but <laughs> even working at a hundred percent, you can't you can't sustain that. You have to bring it back to 40, 30, 20 to recharge to go back up to a hundred.
1: Sure yeah sure. so nice. I, my philosophy and, and the guys at work know this I talk about it all the time. It's called reaching zero. Mm -hmm. And there was a sports psychologist that talked about that concept of you can't work more than a hundred. Like people say, I'm giving 110% boss. Like you can only give a hundred percent and you can only give a hundred percent for short bursts of time. Mm -hmm. And he used the obviously football metaphor. And he said, you look at the way they platoon guys in and out all the time. It's so that they always have somebody on the field that can go a hundred percent. Right. And he said, if you don't learn to reach 0 What happens is in Western society, we all end up running at a steady state of about 60%. (laughs) And he said, you know, as opposed to a lot of other cultures, like European cultures, where they have more vacations, they have different working hours, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the the productivity is the same. So, how, why is that? Well, it's because they're, when they're at work, they're at work. And when they're not, they're totally not. And, um, and so reaching zero is really important for me
2: yeah I'm a firm believer that um human beings are not wired for multitasking and no. I, I i certainly and I say it in my book i said motorcycling requires hundred and ten percent of your your focus and if you don't give it that you're putting yourself in harm's way i you know I don't care how good you think you are at multitasking. Um, if you're ripping up a road like Tail of the Dragon or Little River Gorge Road in Tennessee, um I don't want to be taking phone calls when I'm doing that.
1: No, me you neither. Know? Yeah. No, absolutely not.
2: I don't think so, anybody's really got it in them to do that.
1: Not do it well. And no. and, and either all, one
2: of them. Either one of them well.
1: So I had you're, a, either,
2: you're either gonna have a lousy phone call or you're gonna have a bad experience on the bike.
1: I, so, I had a young kid one time was was giving me grief about a I gave him a, a a tip like that, and and he said, "Oh, you know, I'm young. I can, you know, my mind's more agile, flexible, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah." And I said, "You know how you get to be a 60 year old motorcyclist? Yeah, by not being stupid. Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly. That's how, that's how gray haired bikers got that way. Yeah, hey guys, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I can't wait it's... to hear the finished product.
1: Thank Great you, Mike. I appreciate joy. your time. I've really. Man. Really enjoyed the uh, the chat, and I uh, appreciate your time. And oh, not at all. Hanging I mean, out Chris, with us.
2: I don't envy you guys having to edit this into something uh, listenable and watchable and whatnot.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, well, how about another plug? One more time. What's the book again, Chris?
1: Michael, what's the book? Tell us your book. Uh,
2: the name of the book is Roadwork, and it's uh, with the subtitle "Images and Insights of a Modern Day Explorer." It's available on Amazon in Kindle format and paperback it's also available on apple books
0: perfect and it's uh, uh, O'Neill with a capital o no apostrophe capital capital
2: n N e-i-double-l
0: there you go and what's the website
2: um there's my website is uh com. and uh just today i set up a separate facebook page just for the book so uh Perfect. I'll be sen- I'll be sending out uh, invites to all my friends. I don't know if you guys are on my friends list on Facebook yet, but we should make that happen, too, I guess. Yeah, we will. Do and, uh, you know, I'll be doing some promotions there. And uh, hopefully the people who enjoy this podcast and you know, I know a lot of them are going to be my friends. So uh, I'm going to get you some new viewers here. Uh, hopefully we we'll spread the word and, uh, you know, t- try to get this book uh, popular.
1: No, it's, sounds good. It's, it's a great read, and huh. I, I mean that sincerely. Thank you. Uh, I'm also looking forward to some fall foliage rides, and you're not that far from me. I'm in South Central Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. So uh, I might I might wander over that way toward uh, toward you and see if you want to go for an hour ride or something. It's for-
2: funny you should say that because the first post I put on the new uh, Facebook page it was a fall foliage post from Skyline Drive. I saw it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> where whereabouts in South Central are you?
1: I'm not far from Gettysburg.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, I was actually thinking of heading down towards uh, Frederick, Maryland next weekend. So maybe, uh, you, maybe we can ride. make it happen.
1: You're literally going to ride right by my house.
2: Okay. I've done Are that. Are you
1: coming down 15?
2: That's the way I always do it. I've been doing it for 20 years. I have 15, dear 15 friend.
1: Minutes, 15 uh, minutes from my house.
2: I have a dear friend in Frederick, Maryland, and uh, I go down there all the time. I've been oh, down my there. gosh. You're, yeah. you're
1: literally 15 minutes from my house.
2: Yeah. There you you're go. On, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're on Facebook right
1: Oh, I absolutely. I'll tag yeah. you. Uh, yeah, send, send me
2: send me a friend request. We'll we'll get that whole thing going.
1: That'd be great. Well,
2: well listen, man. Thanks
1: again for your time, and and really enjoyed the call and, and the chat tonight.
2: Okay, it's and kind of uh, like I said, I'll send you some graphics tomorrow. With, you know, some of the books we talked about, and some awesome. pictures of some of the places I've been and whatnot.
1: Yeah, Sounds that'd good. be great. And well, maybe,
2: maybe a couple of those crazy motorcycles I used to ride,
1: especially the one with the eight pangers
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, James, uh, that brings us to the close of another episode of Fuel Stop Chats. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll see you later. Rider out. Rider out. Good night, everyone.